To celebrate Black History, The Post and Courier is presenting a series of podcasts and video interviews featuring 12 dynamic South Carolina leaders to know. We talk to people from all over the state about their efforts to advance social justice, celebrate black culture, address community needs, and create a better world. Our podcasts and videos will be released monthly through January 2022. To learn about South Carolina's pantheon of social justice warriors, go to postandcourier.com slash blackhistory. Join us in learning about our state's remarkable change agents. There's a place where young artists can pursue their passion and learn from practicing professional artists. A place where they have the opportunity to explore and refine their talents in an inclusive and supportive community. A place where life-changing experiences are the norm, not the exception. This place? The South Carolina Governor's School for the Arts and Humanities. Learn more about our public residential high school and summer programs. Visit us online today. Today, we welcome Jermaine Jenkins. Jermaine Jenkins, hello. Hi. It's so nice to meet you face to face and to visit you uh, on this amazing urban farm you have here, Fresh Future Farm. Yes. So, uh, how's it going? How long have you been here in the Chicora Cherokee neighborhood of North Charleston? Well, um, you know, my, my time in Chicora Cherokee you know, extends beyond or before um, Fresh Future Farm, back to when I used to volunteer at the old school, mm -hmm. like in 2007, 2008, until it, um, almost until it closed. This is uh, Chicora Elementary. Chicora Elementary, right. yeah, the, the old school. The, the old There's one. a new school right across the street. Yeah. But, um, so, you know, been like doing work, volunteering in the neighborhood since like 2007. Okay. So what is that, 14 years? Yeah, that's a while. Yeah. And volunteering in what way? What were you doing before? I was volunteering at the school garden. Oh, oh okay, okay. So gardening is in your blood, I guess. It's you, not. It's, it's I, I, um, I picked it up later in life. I see. Yeah. And what, what brought you to gardening and the natural world and fresh produce and all of that? Well, um, I was... You know, always, well, since I was little, I went to community garden, harvested vegetables, you know, rocked my world. And, you know, just, you know, wanted always to have some vegetables on a plate. You know, where it came from, I didn't care so much. But when I moved to um, to Charleston with my young children to go to Johnson, Wales, mm -hmm. and, you know, like immediately, like had a need for food is when I came, kind of became hyper-focused on um, access to fresh fruits and vegetables. And what was missing in some What was missing, you know, like when I had to, you know, when my, you know, EBT benefits and stuff ran out and, you know, I'd gone to pantries and at that time, you know, there weren't a lot of vegetables to be had. So, like, how do I, how do I figure out um, on a personal level to make this available for my family? And I, we figured it out. Okay, so it began in a very personal way for you. Right. Um, addressing your own need, your family's needs. Mm -hmm. And what's your favorite vegetable? Before we go any further, <laughs> it, it depends on the season. Okay, but that's good. Be um, before I, I was farming, you know, it was broccoli hands down. Oh yeah, yeah yes. I like broccoli too. Yes, I yeah. still love it. And how do you like to cook it best? I like like I I can go um, like Bubba on 
Forrest Gump about broccoli. <laughs> Raw, roasted, grilled, you know, all the different ways. Um, I just love it. And what about the, like the related broccolis? The, the, oh, the, the florets and the cousins oh, and the broccoli rob and the... We, we just had our first batch of Romanesco this year. Yeah. Um, roasted, oh, delicious. Yeah, roast. Like yeah. on a barbecue too, you can yeah. do it literally. Yeah, and I'm, I'm gonna try to do like a, a Romanesco slaw. Is, oh. is my, um, my homework assignment for me. Oh, well, let me know when that's ready. <laughs> <laughs> and your second favorite vegetable? Second favorite vegetable. It has to be carrots. Okay. The carrots, you know, I, I thought I liked carrots until I had a carrot, you know, that we harvest from a farm. It's a, it's a completely different experience. When you pull it right out of the ground. Yeah, and, and, and then it's like, it's first, you know, like there's like this, this rush like of dirt yeah. and then there's carrot air and then you know it's just you know you can eat the whole thing it's just a wonderful vegetable oh there's nothing like carrot air i always say <laughs> yeah I nice wish, good whiff wish, of that carrot air i wish we could experience some carrot air right now but these i think are too young yeah okay yeah, yeah. so what have you got going in here right now where, where are we we're spring we're so what's spring. planted? So like what's planted now are things that are like starting to bolt and we're going to let them go to seed because that's how we, you know, kind of carry on like the strongest crops. Okay. So there's some collards, lots of cilantro, um, kale, mustards, um, turnips, some broccoli out there, mm -hmm. some cauliflower, I think. Um, and our banana trees are starting to pop. Oh, yeah, look the at that. The loquats are starting to um, do real well. Uh -huh. The pears, the peaches, the citrus is going, is out of control. Um, Does do the plants produce a lot of fruit? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I guess that depends on pollination, right? It depends, like it depends on the plant because there's one, you know, there are two trees here that we planted, you know, like uh, in 2000, like 15 that haven't um, produced fruit at all, and they're the plum trees. Okay. And I just got like a different variety last week to plant it to see like if two different blossoms together um, at the same time oh, will see. give us fruit this year. So, <laughs> but that's the only one that I've had an issue with. So you, uh, there's not a lot of um, fresh produce to be had in this part of town. No. You're kind of it. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, pantries do have like mm -hmm. produce, but you know, this is the only place anywhere I think in, in um, Charleston where you can, you can go to the grocery store and the grocer can go out and harvest the vegetable like right then and there. So tell me a little more about your mission and how you got started here. Well, um, the mission now, like in, and what it's always been, I think we just, um, after our last staff retreat, just do a better job of articulating the fact that we are interested in growing a quality of life that our neighbors deserve. So, you know, that's our mission. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. Giving them fresh produce. That well, beyond, should... beyond produce, like produce is a start. Okay, so yeah. it's the starting point for what? what, what how do you want to develop this? Well, um, you know, it's, it's complicated. I, it just, I just want there to be you know, liberation where there hasn't been liberation in these in communities, you know, that have been pushed to the margins mm -hmm. uh, for a lot of reasons. So. So you're talking about empowerment, but also a degree of autonomy and um, lots of autonomies, you know, because, you know, just using the farm as an example, I would love for there to be more 
um, variations of Fresh Future Farm, but I want whoever takes it on to do their version of Fresh Future Farm. I see. And um, for that works for that community. So your goal isn't necessarily to grow Fresh Future Farm and to make it in, although I'm sure you'd like to do that, mm -hmm. but to actually plant seeds, so to speak, yes. elsewhere in the urban landscape. Urban landscape with um, recognition and support and like um, learning from rural communities because there's things that we, you know, like things I can learn about trees maybe. You know, matter of fact, I learned something about a tree like something else that we can do to trees from rural farmers. Like what? Do, do tell. Yeah, um, um, putting oyster shells around the tree. It uh, helps suppress the bugs or what? Yes. How did I know that? Yes. How did I know that? And, and nutrients. So. You know how I knew that? A friend of mine is, be, is starting to uh, be, become a beekeeper. Mm. And he was telling me that the best thing to do under the, the hives is to put rocks mm. because that way when the mites that you know terrorize the bees fall off and down they can't reproduce and easily oh. you know they fall onto the hot rocks basically and cook, and, cook yeah. and die yeah and so there's this thing this practice i guess of putting oyster shells or rocks underneath yeah. things that are precious right and <laughs> it'll and it'll do more than just like sizzle or saute you know the mites it'll you know, it's um, just like a hardscaped mulch yeah. around the tree, like retains moisture, catches all that morning dew, does a lot of things. Right. So, yeah, um, I, I, I've admired rocks from afar because we haven't <laughs> dug up any here yet. But uh. A rock admirer and a lover of carrot air. Yes. All right, we're getting somewhere now. <laughs> okay, so wait a minute. I want to go back a little bit in time and because you said you didn't, grow up a produce grower or, mm -hmm. or so how did you grow up and tell me a little bit about what brought you to this point in your life well um, you know I grew up you know very like humble beginnings you know like what I remember of my early childhood in um, or what I know about my early childhood in Hartsville South Carolina you know, was told to be by my um, parents um, but then we moved to Cleveland when I was three. Mm. So um, go Browns. Ugh, no, no, okay. Uh, yeah, I, you know, after the Bernie Kosar years, I'm just almost completely done with football. <laughs> so, um, but uh, so you, how long were you in Cleveland? I was in Cleveland for like 22 years, okay. I think. So you came of age there. And mm -hmm. were, so. Yeah. So you know, like. Uh, you know, humble beginnings, but you know, like in Cleveland, you know, like uh, lottery money was actually used to support like K through 12. So, you know, I was in those honors classes, um, getting an education, I think that's equivalent to what you would get here in a private school. Okay. Yeah. Or, um, you know, or a magnet in school. A, in a good private school. Um, in a private school period. <laughs> Are there bad private I, schools? Well, probably. Well, um, I don't know. But, but yeah, we just, you know, like lots of exposure to the classics, you know, going to all the plays, like reading like Tale of Two Cities and stuff when I was like in sixth grade. Wow. Yeah, just like, like I just, I read so many classes that I just stopped reading <laughs> classics, you know, when I didn't have to anymore. But um, I just, I just always loved books and loved, um, you know, grew up like loving you know characters like Pippi Longstocking who you know this young girl just 
you know, like not afraid of anybody who had, you know, her friends and they would just go on their adventures. Matter of fact, you know, I named my eldest kid after one of Pippi Longstocking's um, friends and um, just a real book nerd. And it wasn't until I, you know, made an attempt at starting college where I um, got really upset about what I didn't learn through all this advanced um, education, which they completely glossed over. I didn't know who Malcolm X was until I was oh, in college. I see. And right. the anger <laughs> that like welled up in me, I, I can't even like describe because I just knew like reading that story would have been helpful so, to so many young people that were peers of mine yeah. who just kind of you know were discouraged with school. So um, it's a lot of classics, but nothing. No history or no contemporary well, issues. Yeah, that, no, like the history, you know, it was world history, yeah. you know, where, you know, like in retrospect, I just, um, I'm trying to look up the name that they used to call the place of origin instead of Africa, like it was West something or another, but um, they, they just like went around the corner to kind of exclude like um, black people from like important milestones. Yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, that was going on all over the place, which is why everywhere, right. we, you know, have, you know, so many, so many disagreements, I believe, because we were all undereducated about like contributions from um, black folks. So, um, you know, that takes me right back into today where, you know, I'm learning all the time and then sharing what I know with other people, especially around like food justice and food apartheid. And, well, and those are things I grew up with, not knowing that there was a name for it until, you know, like I started Fresh Future Farm. Tell me about that. What, um, what is uh, food apartheid and how did you experience it and what are you doing about it now? Yeah, well, you know, growing up in Cleveland, you know, there were, you know, there were some grocery stores near us, you know, like a mile or so away. You know, we didn't have a car. So, you know, um, you know my mom would have to take the bus to do to almost go grocery shopping. grocery shopping, do the laundry, everything. And you know, when um, she got a car, then she would drive out to the suburbs to get the nicer quality, more affordable stuff. Um, and I found myself doing the same thing, you know, um, what, 30 some years later with my children mm. when they were in um, middle and high school. So uh, just, you know, it's that, you know, like all of the, you know, it was my mom, you know, at one point was interested in finishing like her, you know, going to college, but it was just tough when, there, you know, she had three kids, yeah. um, you know, who uh, were at home. So like it was, everything was just harder because of, you know, our environment. But one thing that was cool when we were very young is that our teachers like lived near where we lived. So, you know, you didn't, you didn't, um, you know, there was a relationship between teachers and parents because they were neighbors. Even outside of school, in outside other words, of there school. was a... Well, and, and you kind of um, were on your P's and Q's because you knew <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that, you know, your your parents and teachers were neighbors, you know, like, like living and in... And talking to each other. Mm -hmm. Yes, but it was, you know, I just remember, you know, like government cheese and... Um, you know, all of these commodity items that my mom, you know, had to get because, you know, the job that she had at a, at a where, like a factory in, in Cleveland, every single winter, um, she was laid off. So every single win, winter we like And then struggled. she'd get the job back or get yeah, a Yeah, it was just, job. it was like a furlough. 
oh. every winter. You know, and you know, like with uh, you know utility prices being high, like we, like our electricity got cut off like almost every winter. Mm. You know, and we just, thankfully there was gas too, so we were able to, you know, figure it out. Or maybe our gas got cut off and our electricity stayed on. Stayed on. Yeah. So because your mom probably had to make choices about which bills right, to pay. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that. And that is what, you know, like I've had to do, you know, like the folks that work at the farm have had to do. And, you know, it's not, you know, uh, you know, you want the next generation to do better than you did. And how can we, if we don't like do more than just provide like the bare minimum for people? So in, the, in this sense, fresh future farm and produce in general is sort of a metaphor or a symbol of empowerment and self-determination, wouldn't you say? I, I would say... I mean, it's the, more than a symbol. Yeah, it's well, it's I would produce say that you can eat, but... It's a, it's a catalyst, you know, in some ways, because, you know, like I, you know, struggled with self-esteem issues for a while, and, and then I started, you know, growing stuff, and like, okay, what else can I do? And just inspiration and nourishment to be able to do these other things um, that you need to to improve your know, quality of life when like the circumstances around you are not conducive to doing that. Yeah. And um, it seems that you've had a bit of a influence um, locally. You have a number of volunteers. Tell me about the operation of the farm. How does it work? Mm -hmm. And how do you work with your colleagues? And how are you inspiring people to kind of strike out on their own and do this in other places? Yeah, well, um, the way that the farm works, you know, pre-COVID, you know, we were open five days a week, like 40 hours a week for folks to come um, and shop for produce and groceries because like the last grocery store, like when Dixie closed in 2005. So, you know, there's a team of us, you know, that, you know, a store manager, like a creative manager that does all of our publicity, farm manager, and I'm like kind of the floater um, who writes grants like builds awareness and helps in all these other different areas okay. as needed. So you've and become a proficient manager of a nonprofit, <laughs> I guess. I'm, I'm working on it. Yeah. But, um, but our volunteers come because, you know, right now we have, you know, one person kind of who's in charge of managing the farm. And is, even though it's less than an acre, it's a lot because, you know, we do so much in a small space. Mm -hmm. So volunteers come and help us um, with weeding, mulching, um, uh, like, pr you know, pruning back our banana trees in the winter. Um, these kind of tasks that would take several days we're able to accomplish in a few hours because of volunteer support. That's true. Matter of fact, um, uh, the year after we opened or started working on this space, we opened a farmer's market and folks stopped coming in February when it was rainy and cold just for produce. So volunteers from East Cooper Montessori helped us um, do all that we needed to get this a certificate of occupancy for the store so that we can open a grocery store and That's not cool. just do a farmer's market. I didn't notice a lot of candy and cigarettes in there. You're not oh, selling a lot of candy. And we, we have some candy, <laughs> oh, okay. but, but we don't, you know, have any like cigarettes, no alcohol. Right. And we're working on finding like, um, like our version of things that people would, um, you know, have um, and better quality as a stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah you know, like I, we have, you know, customers who've come from Isle of Palms that say they can't get this quality kale or produce anywhere, but it's available 
like in um, Shakur, Cherokee. So how, the soil, I guess, is pretty productive here. Yeah, and we we um, we build it in such a way that we don't use any chemicals, no pesticides, no fertilizers. Wow, that's great, amazing! Right in the middle of this urban yeah. neighborhood, yeah, mm -hmm. and I'm sure our viewers can hear some of the the noises around us, the traffic and the the, and the leaf the blowers talking. and folks yeah. on dogs barking. It's kind of amazing really to be here. Yeah, well, I like so it. So tell me about how you even secured this land in the first place. I know you've had challenges mm -hmm. with this and and I seem to recall you also wanted to expand or or find oh, some no, I Tell me about the challenges well, of the yeah, land. Because I you know, was very fortunate to be able to go to um, I was very fortunate to be able to go to um, Growing Power in Milwaukee uh -huh. um, in 2014, the same year that we secured um, a lease on this space from the city of North Charleston. And um, Growing Power, um, Will Allen started with three acres, ended up with 300 acres all over town. So I, I came into this with that um, mindset that you start with one space and you expand to other places. So we're just um, um, doing what we can here you know, in hopes of, you know, because as an example, produce by far is like, I mean, fruit is our most popular produce. Mm -hmm. So, and, but we can only grow so many blueberries, blackberries, like oranges, bananas and stuff in this space. So we need way more um, acres to be able to grow like orchards. Just that, to meet the demand. Mm -hmm. And to get into um, value adding stuff. So we can do shelf life, making preserves, you know, pies and things. Um, there's, there's just so many, many opportunities like um, in a, like a unique grocery store that we're trying to establish. That makes sense. South Carolina Buy Black Locally helps you find and support Black-owned businesses in your area, keeping that money in our communities. Our online directory has over 300 listings from Black-owned businesses all across South Carolina, and we're growing each day, reaching more customers through networking and word of mouth. We offer resources for all SCBBL members from events, upcoming shows, and much more. Visit us online at scbbl.co and shop the Black-owned businesses to keep the money flowing in our communities. And has the city been a good partner? Well, like they've, they've given us a lease on this property. It's just, you know, where we um, are struggling now with is, is just being able to buy the doggone um, thing. Because, ah. you know, we raise the money and it's just, you know, um, circumstances outside of our control. Um, unfortunately, that we don't own it yet. Yeah. And yeah. what's stopping you from buying it? Well, it's, you know... Um, like we are, the way that we got this lease, we got a lease on a portion of a of one large plot because we're on point eight acres of a a plot that's that's almost four acres. Which is was part or is part of the school, mm -hmm. the old school, right? Right. Yeah. So we're like where the farm is is where the playgrounds and some of the um, mobile homes were that you know were in this space um, before like the school closed. Okay. Well, so it's, are you at an impasse? What's going on? I mean, you need more space. How do you get it? Well, you know, we, we have our eyes open for other properties, like in the, in the, you know, within, I guess, 10 miles of here. Okay. Um, but, you know, we can't really, like, do anything with those places until we secure this one. 
Um, right, got it. Yeah, you need your home base. Right, need our home base set, you know, before we you know, like um, consider expansion. Um, so, so where yeah, we're else kind are of you? we're we're in limbo. But you know what we've read is that there's a deal to subdivide this space. Oh, okay. So you know that they will be separate, but we're just waiting to hear like what I next see. steps. So are. it's like a zoning thing, and city well, council has to get involved. Well, it was it was a zoning thing to start, like you know because even the school was zoned residential, so we had to get um, business zoning. Okay. to be able Business. to do this but that that was done in 2014. I see okay but you're hopeful? I, I'm hopeful yes. And do you have allies? Who are your partners and your allies? Uh, well like every person that volunteers um, here those folks that share our work I mean even um, like Two Rivers Church I would consider uh -huh. them a solidarity uh -huh. partner yeah but we matter of fact there are so many churches Seacoast Grace Church and others who really like supported us like when we were trying to raise money to buy the property. I so okay. so the Holy Cities showed up <laughs> for us along with individuals and businesses like um, Charleston Mattress being like one that comes to mind. Some other like philanthropic um, groups also that's supported fantastic. our work. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, I mean, the work is so obviously important and helpful mm -hmm. that um, I, I can't imagine it would be a hard sell you know to yeah to get the philanthropic support so tell me a little bit about other changes so here we are in um, an old part of north charleston not far from the former navy base mm -hmm. this used to be a middle-class neighborhood full of employees who worked on the navy base which closed in the 90s i guess right and um and it's changed a lot since then. I guess it's predominantly African-American and lower income now. There's some effort uh, to address the economic status of the neighborhood? Well, you know, all I know is that it was, you know, when the Navy base was open and it was a thriving, predominantly white um, community, like this was the place that other folks from other parts of town would come to for movies, yeah. shopping, Reynolds all of these Avenue things. Was yeah. yeah, there were like five grocery stores around yeah. here. Um, and when the Old Navy base closed, I guess that that all came to a halt. And the folks that owned these houses just rented them. Um, I see. Are they mostly rentals? They are mostly rentals still, I think. It was like, you know, 20 some percent, like in the early 2000s. I don't know what the percentage is now. I do know that the neighborhood is gentrifying. Yeah. And that, you know, there are community members who are being pushed out, you know, as like those folks who own the homes decide to sell them. I see. Okay. So I get it. And people who are renting the homes can't necessarily afford them or get the loans to buy them or whatever. Or, or they're just plain old, like um, your, your rental lease is over, so now you just are out. Yeah. You've got to find another spot. Okay, and is, that seems to be increasing, you think? Well, it's, it started over here, but I'm starting to hear about it. Like my husband's talking to neighbors where we live five minutes away from here. And at least um, two of our neighbors I didn't realize were renting are going to be displaced. Hmm. So it's, it's more prevalent. Like the rents are going to be higher as like um, apartments start to remodel, but there's you know just a lot of development happening on Rivers Avenue that's going to make this even more of a prime location. Mm -hmm. At which time we're going to have to change our like business model because you know we're here to serve you know the folks who are pushed to the margin. So we'll we'll go where like folks land 
Right. Although this, you know, even if these processes some take a while. Right. And there's always going to be, or there'll be need, I suppose, in this mm -hmm. neighborhood for a while. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, but there it is. And so you'll have um, an important mission to maintain even here for quite a while. Oh, yeah. No, we, you know, like um, I mentioned earlier that, you know, I went to a, a community garden and harvested like produce and it just, you know, like opened my eyes in a different way to produce. That place is still like in existence 40 some years later. I want that same um, trajectory for Fresh Future Farm. So what, you know, what do you think about the, the idea that something like this can, in a way, replace some of the existing business models? You know, right now we go to supermarkets. Mm -hmm. where there are supermarkets and right. food deserts that's harder for residents to do obviously like your mom they have to take a bus sometimes or mm, buses buses yeah. yeah so it's a huge challenge time-consuming expensive uh, juggling child you know it's people don't fully appreciate I think just how difficult that can be yeah when there isn't easily accessible affordable food right so here you are providing easily accessible affordable food and you want to establish this sort of model, you know, throughout an urban environment. And I, I see the potential for this sort of thing to kind of be a viable alternative. Mm -hmm. to even to become the preferred alternative. Right. Where you, you come for... You come for a clove of garlic and get, you know, a, a lesson on the benefits of garlic. And this is how you grow it at your own house. It's like, you know, when you go to the farmer's market downtown mm -hmm. or Mount Pleasant or, you know, wherever they have these farmer's markets, it's usually more expensive mm. than the quality is often very good. I mean, right. produce is coming from these beautiful farms and um, and it's wonderful to be able to access that. But it's expensive. Yeah. And instead, here I'm assuming it's not that expensive. No. And if you have multiple fresh future farms throughout a city, all of a sudden you have multiple regular full-time farmers markets mm -hmm. that are all operational and affordable. Well, and it's like you know a grocery store beyond farmers markets because you know wherever like food apartheid is happening you know, there's a need for more than just fruits and vegetables. And um, the other thing that's unique about Fresh Future Farm, the store, is that we offer what we call a neighborhood discount that extends beyond the neighborhood. So, you know, like if you have dependents, like this bug is biting me, it's dependent on my leg. It's dependent on you. Um, but if you had dependents, you got medical debt, educational debt, like debt from like, you know, trying to get your immigration status or whatever, or even like if a felony is keeping you from getting a decent job, you can get anywhere from 35 to 100% off. And our, and it's, like our job is like folks that work here to raise the money to cover the difference. I see. So, and that's on all of our groceries. That's wonderful. In other words, it's far more than just a farm. Right. You're not just growing affordable produce to fill a void, which you are of course doing, mm -hmm. but this is a, well above and beyond that. Above and beyond, you know, to like now we're selling tinctures, you know, we were like distributing like um, PPEs at the height of COVID. And again, like we um, got grants and we delivered groceries like at a hundred percent discount to the neighborhood wow. for um, like seven months. So are you happy? Am I happy? Yeah. I'm, I'm happy 
that we are able like that you know what was on a piece of paper has become something that's real um, I worry you know because we're not stable yet in this space um, and that you know we're employing some really smart young people and I want to be you know just make sure that they always have employment and it's tied to us you know owning um, or stewarding this space with the deed um, but you know like day to day like coming out here being able to to get a paycheck to prune like fruit trees and talk to people about the work that we're doing and get more people inspired to do this work where they live I'm very happy about that and you know you asked about um, inspiration of other people you know my eldest you know who you know like had an interest like on the whole other spectrum from farming now has property out in the country that they're turning into a farm so yes I'm, I'm happy so that's good you're reaching and the, this is a, a nonprofit I guess right? yes and so you're you have earned income you're mm -hmm. selling stuff over yeah, the counter. Yeah, it's, it's a lot less earned income because our hours are reduced. Hours are reduced because of COVID. Hopefully mm -hmm. that'll come back soon. Right. You have donations coming in mm -hmm. and grants that you write. Yes. And those, I guess, are the three legs of your stool. Um, we also do merch, you know, you know merchandise merch, right. um, that we sell. We also teach. So, you know, especially during COVID, like, you know, Food Justice 101, Black Food Justice Pioneers, you know, all of these different classes, even like, you know, gardening, composting, we taught online. So like folks can learn how to use like the same kind of natural farming practices that we apply here at the farm at their home garden. Do you have in the back of your mind a kind of political motivation? Um, and what I'm getting at here is that South Carolina, in fact, the United States in general, but certainly the South and South Carolina, has a pretty terrible history with regard to black farmers mm, who've been yes. denied land and, and opportunity. Um, and here you are, a black farmer, mm -hmm. uh, inspiring other African Americans yeah. and others beyond, but right. certainly um, there's do you see this as a, as an educational and even an economic opportunity oh you know absolutely like in the you know the seven years that we've been in existence you know we've come to a point now where on a national scale you know there's legislation called justice for black farmers and on the state level um, a, a South Carolina black farmer restoration act so you know all of these um, options that undo some of the injustices that you know black farmers have experienced since being kidnapped and brought here in the first place because of um, the agricultural ac acumen of you know West African people exactly. um, you know that you know my hope is that there is some some repair of the harm that's been done over these centuries around that and you know going from uh, 16 million acres of land to now like 90 plus percent of that is lost right um, you know there's a lot of work to be done a lot yeah yeah I think uh, President Biden in in, in the um, the COVID aid bill whatever that was called mm -hmm. the rescue bill yeah. had a huge chunk of money uh, set aside for black farmers you know, I thought it was a huge chunk and until we just had our Black Farmers Conference 
like a week ago. Yeah. Um, and we did an equity audit. And in, you know, like that five, um, uh, is a billion dollars? Looks like a lot of money. But when uh, the the person, Najman Thomas, who did a presentation, said that there was $23 billion like given to farmers in South Carolina by itself. And that right. $5 billion is supposed to stretch across you know, the whole United States. Yeah. So it's a lot less money. Right, it's really it just the way. beginning. Yeah, very, just the beginning. So, um, you know, there's a lot more work to be done. But I'm, I'm encouraged that we're, like, finally having these conversations, you know, in, um, you know, like, because of COVID and the fact that, you know, we were at home all watching what happened to George Floyd and, and um, Breonna Taylor, that, you know, um, and, you know, just like the inequity in, in folks having access to food during the pandemic. Yeah. Like folks, I think, are, are, like, some folks are kind of awakening to what we've been saying, you know, for a long time. That, okay. you know, um, there is like uh, separate and unequal living experiences for people in the United States that have to be repaired. Indeed. And you're doing that. You yeah. are addressing that in your way here in North Charleston. Yes. And um, good luck. <laughs> I, I don't know that you need a whole lot of luck, but you probably need a little bit of luck. Yeah. Uh, certainly to secure the land and to find other places too. Yes, yes. So, um, yeah, and, and now, you know, like from this experience, when we talk to young farmers who want to do the same thing, we can tell them, okay, you need all of these things to be in place. Because I thought I had a really good list, but, you know, like, like uh, ownership and like business zoning are very um, important. Yeah, this maybe put that at the front of your list. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Next time. Right. right, right. Well, listen, you live and you learn. Yes. And you're learning and you're passing it on and teaching others and inspiring others and serving the community and beyond. It's really kind of inspirational, I have to say. And um, congratulations for all of your hard work and your effort. I hope you're happy at least there's some degree of gratification that you've you're accomplishing this well it, like it, whenever you know like um, customers like buy something and then call us right back to say yum. that was delicious you know or you know like um, I this pear tree like really took me out when I tried to harvest it apparently there's some varieties that have thorns on them oh. so it got me in the ear oh but last year like the first pair off of that tree, a customer said, I want it. And you know, immediately called us. So you know, you can't get that kind of service anywhere. And we hope that that changes. So you like forgave the, the tree year. then for injury. Yeah, no, you. no, like, you know, <laughs> like I was pruning you, you pruned me, you know. All even. good. Yeah, we're even. <laughs> right. but, um, but yeah, no, it's. Um, That's great. It's just a therapeutic I guess that space. really is the best reward, right? It's to hear happy customers here happy healthier customer and, and folks who just know like they don't refer to it as like Germain's farm or Tamaja's or Annick or Adrian they refer to it as my store my, you know our farm you know because you know we we treat it as such it is a kind of community farm it really is yes well all power to you Jermaine Jenkins thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us very interesting, very inspirational, and I hope you're able to uh, replicate this. Me too. Yeah. Thank very you. Very good. Thanks so much. 
12 Black Leaders to Know is a special series of The Post and Courier, produced by Chris Zeller, with interviews conducted by Adam Parker, and video production by Matthew Crum. Thank you to our sponsors, Bank of America, College of Charleston Master of Business Administration, South Carolina Governor's School for the Arts and Humanities, Claflin University, Nephron Pharmaceuticals, South Carolina Whitmore School, Ingevity, South Carolina Buy Black Locally, Trident Technical College, and Middleton Place. To learn about South Carolina's pantheon of social justice warriors, visit postandcourier.com slash blackhistory.